It's the most popular sport on the planet, with an estimated 4 billion fans worldwide. But not everybody grew up watching or playing soccer, particularly here in the U.S. I sure didn't. I made fun of soccer, called it boring, hard to follow, and not as entertaining as football, basketball, or baseball. But thanks to some basic education about the game and a few viewings of English Premier League matches, I realized I had been wrong all those years, and I became hooked. It's a far more compelling sport to watch than I used to think. Tense, exciting, and when played by the great ones, graceful and elegant. This show is for anybody who's curious why so many people love this game. It's for new fans of the European club teams looking for analysis that doesn't get too far into the weeds because, frankly, we wouldn't know how to be that in-depth. It's for anybody who wants to join us on our journey of getting to know better the most popular sport in the world. We'll talk about the game itself, the rules, the terminology, the strategy, and we'll talk about the top club soccer league in the world, the English Premier League, its teams, its history, its players, each week's games, all of it. We're kind of learning as we go here, but we're hoping you'll share that experience with us and come along for the ride. This is Hands Off Those Balls. So ownership at Sheffield United has decided that manager Chris Wilder shouldn't finish the season as Blade's boss. Now, did this shakeup turn their fortunes around this weekend? Not bloody likely. Welcome to another edition of Hands Off Those Balls. My name is Mike. I am joined, as always, by Jared. Jared, how are you doing this week? I am doing okay, except it was 20 degrees this morning. Mm, and windy. Yes, on March 15th, it was 20 degrees. We should be uh, getting to that higher lows every day. Days period. after yeah. it was like 68. Yeah. So th This is what I hate about March. I, uh, As you know, since you're taking part in it, um, I like to have the fellas over to watch the uh, the first weekend of the NCAA men's basketball tournament, usually, and we've had weekends for that where we're like running cable outside the house to watch it out on my patio because oh, yeah. it's so beautiful out, and we've had weekends where there's been two feet of snow during tournament weekend. So I, it's it's March. You can't uh, March Madness. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, it certainly makes me mad when it's this cold. Damn it. All right, so uh, yeah, as we mentioned, a little uh, little shakeup for uh, uh, the team out of Yorkshire, Sheffield United. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that uh, later in the show. Uh, but first, while we uh, all noticed that we had the North London Derby this weekend, not that it ended well for those of us Spurs fans out there, uh, we had another matchup of teams that have a, a relatively storied rivalry uh albeit not one that seems to have a, a cute derby name to it uh one of the early matches on saturday this week was leeds united versus chelsea so i had been hearing that this historically was a big rivalry and i couldn't really figure out why i mean they're not geographically close um I wasn't aware of any of the, the historical context, and, and obviously Leeds haven't even been in the Premier League for like a decade and a half. So I was curious as to what all this uh, uh, historical context was for their rivalry and uh, learned a few juicy tidbits about the, the histories of these teams. So let's, do tell. let's hop in our Wayback Machine, as we like to do on the show. So just in general... 
Leeds United founded in 1919. Chelsea founded in 1905. So they're not in that category of teams that were founded like in the 1870s and the 1880s like Everton and uh, I think Spurs and Liverpool, but still a lot of history. Um, They didn't really have any big matches between them uh, of of any great import uh, really until the, the 60s. That's when it really picked up. I mean, they had the occasional, uh, uh, you know, like FA Cup meeting and uh, the occasional uh, top flight match of some import. But it was really the 60s and the 70s where they were both good and had all of these storied meetings. Um, the team's back then really had their own personalities and I guess there's a lot of analogizing that's been done. In general Leeds is described as back from back then as a pretty physical team. I suppose on your perspective you might describe them as a dirty team uh, but certainly they were physical and um, you know they're from northern England and, and so compare that to Chelsea they're this London team, a little bit cosmopolitan. I mean, it even took the went to the extent of who some of the, the Chelsea fans were, like Steve McQueen and Raquel Welch. Um, so, uh, you know, they're sort of the uh, the city team, the, um, like I said, the more cosmopolitan of the two, sort of slick. Uh, and, and the teams sort of adopted those uh, persona. Uh, one overgeneralization was that, um, although this isn't accurate geographically, um, Chelsea were the Beatles. You know, they're clean cut. Uh, you know, take them home to meet. Uh, you know, the, the girlfriend takes them home to meet the parents, and Leeds were the Stones. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I saw that analogy, and I'm like, okay, that that I can understand. So. Uh, one season in which this, this rivalry really started to take shape, the 64-65 season, they're in a three-way battle for the top flight title, the two of them, with Manchester United. Um, and in one of the matches uh, between Leeds and Chelsea, you've got players taking off, taken off the pitch on stretchers uh, from some, shall we say, aggressive tackling. Um the, uh, the press described one of their meetings from that season as a never mind the ball mentality. Gosh. It was just guys <laughs> going after each other. Um, they then meet again during that season in the FA Cup semis. Um, and in that match, the Leeds goalkeeper kicks a Chelsea player in the face. Oh, boy. So, kind of have to try to do that I would yeah, think yeah um, and in that match that Chelsea won Leeds had two goals disallowed one for offsides and one because a free kick was taken too early sort of reminiscent of that uh, that match we had two weeks ago that Brighton match yeah, yeah. Um, and so that gets you know the Leeds team and Leeds fans all kinds of pissed off uh, that they feel that they were jobbed in that match. Uh, so, starting to get some bad blood between these teams. We now go to the 1969-1970 season. Uh, 
these two teams met during that season six times. And you have to like kind of try hard to figure out how's that even possible. That's true because it's only twice now, right? Well, I'm not saying they had six Premier League ma- oh, you know, right, top right. flight matches. Yeah. Um, over the course of that season, they met six times. So obviously you got the two top flight matches, but they, they actually had a rarity happen in the FA Cup where um, they, they had to play an extra game uh, because they had come out of, of the matchup tied. So anyway, their regular Premier League match at Ellen Road that year Six guys from Chelsea got injured to the point that they could not play the following week. So, again, aggressive tackling, shall we say. Um, They meet in the League Cup, and Chelsea beats Leeds. Okay, so now, you know, all the more reason for Leeds to be angry. Mm -hmm. We then come to the FA Cup final that year. And this is... The, the final took place over a few games. Uh, so you've got April 11th, 1970, they meet at Wembley. Leeds is winning, but there's a late equalizer by Chelsea to force what they call a replay. So they have to play another match. And they didn't just go to a shootout with penalty kicks. So they play to have a, a, a neutral site. They didn't just play again at Wembley. They played at Old Trafford, which I found interesting. Yeah. Odd, but interesting. Um, and it is this match that is the legendary, you know, it has been called one of, if not the dirtiest match (laughs) in history. (laughs) So it was also watched by like the entirety of the British Isles. Apparently there were 28 million viewers in the United Kingdom to watch this match. Um, uh, (laughs) just to give you an idea of how dirty it was. So, a modern ref by the name of David Ellery, he got his hands on the tape of the match and watched it with an eye of a referee to determine, okay, what would I have done if I were the ref for this match? And after watching it, he said that he would have issued six red cards and 20 yellows. (laughs) Do you know how many were actually issued? Oh, yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll get to that. Six reds, 20 yells. I don't know what, what his view of as the split was. I, I doubt it was, okay, three each on the reds yeah. and ten each on the yellows. You know, one of the teams probably was, was going to get booked a little more had uh, Mr. Elray been the ref. But that gives you, you know, sort of some insight into just how much was going on in this match from a, uh aggressiveness perspective. Um, now... To your question, how many uh, players were actually booked? The answer to that question is one. And that's taking both the play at Wembley and Old Trafford into consideration. One booking. One booking. The media said that, um, you know, one of the newspapers, the way they put it was, it seemed that the ref would only award a free kick on production of a death certificate. <laughs> so this is sort of bringing new meaning to the idea of let them play. You know, we sometimes get a little bit annoyed or certainly the commentators in the booth these days who used to be players, and I think particularly the guys who used to be defenders, yeah. they get they get annoyed 
that that the players aren't allowed to you know let them play a little bit more, uh, and they certainly get annoyed with flopping. Um, but you kind of have to wonder, you know, <laughs> did these did those guys who are in the booth now who played say in the '80s and '90s did they like learn as children from this kind of play right. from the early yeah. '70s? Um, ultimately, Chelsea won that that FA Cup final for 1970. But the Leeds players were so outraged, um, just and pissed that they lost, and you know they hated these guys. That at least one Leeds player refused to accept the runner-up medal. So it sort of <laughs> harkens back to that time we talked about the uh, the '72 Summer Olympics and men's basketball uh, that the U.S. team refused to accept their silver medals. Um, on top of everything that the players were doing to make this, you know. A, a, historically brutal rivalry you had some big time hooliganism uh, meaning that fans in the stands just breaking into fights with each other uh, sometimes going on the field to make a mess of things out there Um, apparently after the 1972-73 match between Leeds and Chelsea they had to install wire fencing at Stamford Bridge to block (laughs) the stands from the field um and apparently this is another thing i learned they basically each had their own gangs like with the the leather jackets and the name on the back and everything so chelsea's gang was the chelsea headhunters i am not making this up and they were like the big hooligans for chelsea would they like follow the team around like groupies or? Well, I think they did follow the team around because they're blamed not only for riots and fires happening in and around uh, Stamford Bridge, but like out in the public. Uh. I mean, that, that's it's not just like a group. It's not the bleacher creatures at Yankee Stadium who are sort of this informal group, basically just because of where they sit. This really appeared to be just shy of registering with the Secretary of State as a limited liability corporation. I mean, they were a gang uh and and leeds united had the leeds united service crew which i think if anything was an ironic name because they too were just you know thugs going around getting into fights starting riots starting fires um so all all that stuff uh i guess in in the 90s really got uh, throttled down which is good for everybody involved yeah yeah um so the you may be wondering, you know, who has the edge in this rivalry over time. As far as the league matches are concerned, it's actually Leeds. I would have guessed Chelsea. I yeah. would have too. Uh, Leeds has 39 wins. Chelsea has 27, and they had 26 draws. Now that's just in league play. Yeah. Chelsea has done better over the years in um, the These tournaments. tournaments. Yeah. Um, I think. Uh, if I recall, Chelsea had like five wins against Leeds in the FA Cup. Um, and I, I don't remember the League Cup, and I may have those backwards. Uh, but I do remember seeing it was it was like five wins and three draws, and the five wins were for Chelsea. Um, so the rivalry obviously cooled off uh, shortly into the 21st century because Leeds got relegated. Yeah, they um, went down in 2004, 2004. I think. Yeah. And they were down there for 15 years, 16? Uh, well, whatever the math is there. Um, yeah. So, uh, 
if you don't play, you're not going to have much of a, of a rivalry anymore. So, um, you know, we, uh, uh, we're going to have to just wait and see, I suppose, to see if this rivalry is going to, going to pick up with some, uh, you know, some edge. I'm not suggesting it gets back to the days of, you know, <laughs> modern refs saying they would have doled out six reds and 20 yellows. I think you would agree the uh, game this weekend was edgeless. Yeah. <laughs> but... You, you know, it's uh, uh, not every nothing-nothing match is, is uh, uh, made equal. Uh, I think some of them can be pretty entertaining. I wasn't, I wasn't as bored with that nothing-nothing match as I've been by some other, other ones, yeah. matches. Um, there are a lot of good saves in it. First so, Manchester yeah. Derby comes to mind. Um, so we're just going to have to see if this rivalry stays... Or rather, gets hot again, uh, at least somewhat similar to how it used to. But I, I found that pretty interesting. Like I said, I, I couldn't figure out Leeds and Chelsea. What the hell do they have? Yeah, what's that? Um, but uh, <laughs> start reading about guys being taken off in, in stretchers, and apparently one of the players from Chelsea had a black book with names of guys from Leeds that he <laughs> basically <laughs> wanted to take a bounty out on and. Uh, it was serious back in the you day. Had, you had me at leather jacket gangs, right? So, yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, before we take a break, though, we uh, we mentioned it earlier. So Chris Wilder, uh, former manager of Sheffield United, uh, has departed. Now, I'm sort of picking my words carefully here because Jared and I discussed and we tried to research it out. We're not 100 percent sure exactly what to call this separation between Chris United and Sheffield. Was he fired? Did he quit? Uh, was it a mutual agreement? Um, I, don't, I don't think I saw anything to suggest that he's just straight up quit over ownership's objection. But we have seen reports that say he was fired, sacked. If I, um, yeah. But we've seen reports that it was a mutual decision. So it's hard to be sure what the hell is going on here. Um, I mean, I've, I've seen even other reports that there were some uh, irre irreconcilable differences that he had with ownership. Um, obviously, I'm not privy to, to what those might be. We always laugh about the, you know, shag the owner's wife reason. But, right. um, you know, I'm not – maybe the story will become clearer in the coming weeks. I don't know. Could be. Um, now, I wasn't clear, you know, th did they have an interim boss sort of handling this weekend's match? Because at one time I was hearing that they were going to go without a manager, which would be interesting. Like, what does the team get together and decide who's going to start and who's on the bench? I, I mean, I think it was Paul Heck, Heckingbottom, wasn't it? Okay, so they that's, did have yeah, that's like, like brought up uh, an assistant. To... And he, he's definitely interim. I know okay. that. Okay, so. all right. Um, so uh, not so good for Chris Wilder. I mean, the fact is Sheffield United was having an awful, awful season this year, nearly of historic proportions in, in certain respects. But um, one thing that this firing or this mutual decision, whichever it was, uh, did for me, uh, regular listeners of the show might recall that last week I was searching for who was the manager who took his team from League Two to League, or rather from League One to the Championship and then to the Premier League. And ultimately um, wondered aloud if it was the manager of Bournemouth. Um, 
whose name is escaping me at the moment. Yeah, I'm not sure uh, it, It'll come to me some point. Uh, Howe, Eddie Howe. Um, and he did. He took Bournemouth from League One to the championship to the Premier League. But I don't think Eddie Howe was the guy I was thinking of. I think I was thinking of Chris Wilder because he did it. Yes. Um, he may have done it in a shorter period of time, too. I mean, only two-plus years. Yeah. Um, so, and and again, they were, what were they, 10th last year? I think ninth. ninth? I mean, ninth they were in the top year. half. So, I uh, mean, the amazing thing, too, is that while they were ninth, they were fourth in goals allowed. So just their defense be- was good. Yeah, they were a, a juggernaut defensively just behind uh, Liverpool and the Manchesters. Um, now, sort of an interesting um, detail on that. If I'm not mistaken, um, I'm not going to get his. I'm not going to remember his first name, but goalkeeper from Manchester United, who's now starting for Manchester United over David De Gea, Henderson, I believe, was on loan to Sheffield, Sheffield United last year. last year. Yeah, um, and he's pretty good, and he certainly had a good season last year. Mm-hmm. So they don't have him this year. Could that be making a difference? It's probably making some difference, but I mean. They can't score to save their lives yeah, I would either. S- I would say scoring was the bigger problem um, this year. So, uh, understandable to an extent. Um, you know, you, your team's playing this bad. You, you figure as, as ownership, you got to do something. But I don't know uh, if, if Chris Wilder really deserved this. It's mid-year, too. I don't like these mid-year firings. Well, what, what the hell do you think you're going to accomplish? It's so late in the year, too. Yeah. You know, I mean... You, do something at uh, match week 15 if you're going to do something, yeah. but... Yeah. Kind of weird. And and I saw some uh, uh, real angst and, and anger in the uh, commentariat uh, across the pond there that a lot of British writers are, are questioning this decision too, and I can understand it. And I, I think a lot of it has to do with um, it's, it's one bad year among several good years, and a lot of them are asking the rhetorical question, who does Sheffield United think they're going to get who's going to be better than Chris Wilder? And I think it's a fair question. Uh, it absolutely is. Um, so, One one interesting thing that I, I noticed, and obviously I saw this on an internet forum, so I haven't vetted it, it at all. <laughs> the um, internet's never wrong. Yes. Um, in two plus years, or almost two years in the English Premier League, uh, League, Sheffield had never lost a game by more than three goals. They switch out their manager, and they immediately yeah. drop a negative five yeah. on their goal differential. So <laughs> I'll show you. You know, s- small sample size, but Chris Wilder was doing something to mitigate the the differential talent that he was yeah. that he had. You know, so yeah, it's a good point. I mean, uh, it wouldn't be the first time that Leicester, uh, you know, had a a lot of goals in a yes, match. I mean, right. they had one last year where they had nine. So. Um, uh, they're not uh, unfamiliar with how to score, but that that's an interesting stat nonetheless. Uh, so with that, we'll go ahead and take a break, give you the scores from this past week, and give you the admittedly very brief schedule of matches coming up in the next seven days. Uh, there's only four of them. So uh, we'll give you that, and we will be right back. Here are your scores from Match Week 28 in the English Premier League. On Friday, Newcastle and Aston Villa played to a one-goal draw. Saturday kicked off with a scoreless draw between Leeds and Chelsea. Crystal Palace topped West Brom 1-0, Burnley defeated Everton 2-1, and Manchester City kept rolling with a 3-0 victory over Fulham. 
Sunday began with Brighton edging Southampton 2-1. Leicester destroyed Sheffield United 5-0. Arsenal took the North London Derby with a 2-1 win over Spurs, and Manchester United beat West Ham 1-0. On Monday, Liverpool defeated Wolves 1-0, but the big news of that match was Wolves keeper Rui Patricio suffering a head injury that required him to be taken off the field in a stretcher late in the game. Not many matches this upcoming week. We have three contests from Match Week 29 as Fulham hosts Leeds on Friday, Newcastle visits Brighton on Saturday, and West Ham and Arsenal face off in a London derby at London Stadium. Sunday also sees Villa host Spurs in the makeup of their Match Week 18 game. That's what's happening in the EPL. Now back to the show. And we are back. So we're going to give you the rundown on some select matches from this past week. And I think we were going to start with a midweek matchup between Manchester City and Southampton. Yep, and this was not a makeup game. This was the opposite of that, a pre-play. I don't know what we're calling it, but it's a game for match week uh, 33. Another one where we're stepping into the DeLorean and going into the future. Yeah. All right. Uh, Man, City, uh, Man City hosting Southampton. So uh this one went pretty much as expected. Uh, I guess I would say the only unexpected aspect was that Man City gave up two goals again. Uh, that's two in a row since not giving up two or more since November, was it? It was a long time. It was a while, yeah. Um, Marez with a pair of goals. Uh, Kevin De Bruyne, he also had a pair of goals. Uh, Gun to one had one as well. On the Southampton side, uh, James Ward-Prowse converted a penalty kick. Uh, Che Adams added one himself, and 5-2 is the final in this one for Man City as they get back on track after a disappointing Manchester derby. Yeah, yeah, a lot of goals in that one. Yeah. Seven goals goals in a match. Um, Saturday, you're starting off with the rival we we just talked about, Leeds hosting Chelsea. So we kind of had our own fantasy keeper rival as well, if you uh, noticed that, Mike. Oh, yeah. Yeah. this was a matchup of our two fantasy keepers, Bellier and Mendy. Uh, both had been doing well of late, so the dilemma here is which one to start. Um, obviously, you you got to give it to the edge to Mendy and a team that hadn't lost in weeks upon weeks. Um, uh, this one was all Chelsea by the secondary stats, 2-1 uh, to one on shots and possession. A lot of opportunities in this one, a ton of keeper saves, but this one ends in a nil-nil draw. Um, both keepers take the top two prizes by way of bonus points. Melier, I think, got another point on saves and one more bonus point, but I'm not going to lose too much sleep in choosing wrong when Mendy still took home nine. For yeah, us, so yeah. I mean, it, it was it was good from that perspective. Melier had a bunch of saves because, you know, his his defenders were allowing shooters to get close. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's sort of been the book on him all year, that he may not hold a clean sheet, but he ends up stopping a lot of shots because there are a lot of shots against Leeds, and and fantasy-wise, you you can get some extra points for every third uh, save that your keeper makes. So that's something. Another bit of news in this one um, was another one of these non-contact type injuries, uh, this time uh, scary for Patrick Bamford of Leeds, uh, left the game early, um <laughs> you have no idea what the injury situation is for any player at any time in the Premier League because they are so closed book with these things and the managers don't let any info get out uh I mean it is it is the HIPAA law on steroids over there yeah so did you did he hold anything I didn't see that yeah it was it was like hamstring area oh boy yeah, yeah. 
So, but again, I think we've talked about this before. These non-contact injuries, those scare you more because that could mean that something got torn. Or, you know, so, just really tricky recoveries. Too, yeah. You know, so. so, more to follow there. Um, Crystal Palace hosting West Brom, so only one shot on goal for West Brom in this one. I'm thinking maybe the Sam Magic might not come through this time around. Yeah, um, I, I agree. Um, the only goal in this one actually came on a Crystal Palace penalty kick as a result of a handball by West Brom defender Furlong. So VAR took a long look at this one and confirmed. Now, we talked a bit about this last week and the deliberate component of a handball. Um, I think it's important to mention that there's actually two types of deliberate here. There's deliberate action and deliberate inaction. And this was the latter here. Furlong had a lot of time and distance to do something with his outstretched uh, arm and chose to do nothing and boink. Yeah. So, um, good call there. I uh, had no problem with that. That was pretty easy. Yeah, I wasn't 100% sure that, it, that he necessarily saw the ball for all of that time, but still it was the kind of thing that you look at the replay you're like, how's this not a handle? Yeah. I mean, so. Uh, 1-0 is the final in this one. Time is running out for West Brom. Um, Fulham hosting Man City. Um, so for all the credit we can give Fulham for their sort of rapid ascension out of the cellar recently, this was going to be a legitimate test. Oh, yeah. Um, they're hosting Man City, who suddenly seems to be giving away goals again. So um, nothing really unexpected in this one, though. Man City was back up to near-perfect form after a couple of defensive blips uh, in previous weeks. Sergio Aguero with a rare start. I haven't seen him start in a while. And a penalty kick conversion. Yes, absolutely. Um, I actually found this amu amusing. I don't know if you saw this, but early on, Lookman for Fulham uh, has a cross deflected way into the stands, and uh, the announcers were actually talking about it and brought up uh, Steve Bartman and Wrigley Field. I thought it was funny that <laughs> that incident and that controversy is still as internationally pervasive. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, Fulham, though, really couldn't get anything going on goal. Uh, Man City defense was just superb in this one from start to finish. Um, Fulham would attack, get something near the penalty box, but it just uh, never really manifested it in anything. Uh, it would stay 0-0 into the second half when John Stones gets one in off a free kick for the 1-0 one, uh, one Man City lead. So we have two Man City defenders going for us, and neither <laughs> is named John Stones. Um Ten minutes later, Jesus jukes around keeper Areola and puts uh, puts it into basically an open net, 2-0 uh, Man City. Then at about the 60th minute, Fulham defender and former citizen uh, Tosin, um, hopefully I'm pronouncing that right, has it stolen by Tehran and uh, gives him sort of a hip check off the ball for the penalty. Sergio Aguero is called on to take it and converts it for the 3-0 Man City win. So he had not scored in league play in 417 days. Crazy. Quite a drought. Um, obviously the first uh, first one for him this year. Man City continues to roll. Uh, Fulham, I don't think they were expected to win this one, but it would have been a pretty big statement if they could have at least pulled off a draw or something. Yeah. Um, so they're not, uh, at least this week, not uh, helping their case for, for getting out of the, the relegation zone. Uh, as we said earlier, uh, Newcastle, one and Newcastle being one of the teams that they're sort of that Fulham is eyeing to overtake the other being Brighton so what did Brighton do this week well uh on Sunday uh Southampton hosted uh Brighton this was a pretty important club for or pretty important game for both clubs uh they're they're both kind of on a downward trajectory uh Dunk gets Brighton on the board early with a header off a corner um 
That was only Brighton's fourth goal from a header this year. I thought that kind of maybe spoke a little bit to their table position. Um, normally you'd expect to... Well, particularly team. considering that they have that lurch in the form of, uh, what's his name, Byrne? Yes. That, that uh, like, seven-foot-tall uh, defender. I mean, he can come forward on corners. you think he'd just be able to sky over everybody. But Yeah. Uh, che Adams equalizes for Southampton on some slick passing. That's the first time he has scored three games in a row for the Saints, and he does it all after we get rid of him, I think. <laughs> well... Wanted to mention that? Yeah, it's worth mentioning. So I think the way it played out was we only picked him up, I think, for a game. Um, I My refrain on the fantasy team has been we have forward issues because it seems like every time you look up, one of our forwards gets injured. Perfect example. This week, you know, it's I, I was starting to calm down. Oh, good. We have our forward situation all fixed. Under control. Because we got... We got Antonio, we got Bamford, and we've got Calvert-Lewin back. And next thing you know, Bamford gets hurt. So we're back to having forward issues. And so there was a, I think it was, four matches ago for Southampton. We picked up Shea Adams just as basically a placeholder for one week. And he didn't even, pl- didn't start. I don't remember yeah, he came in. Yeah, I think he in. came in. But, yeah. A lot of good that does us. Uh, and then in the subsequent weeks, he just goes and gets a goal every match. So excellent timing again for the hands-off-those-balls fantasy team. Yeah. Um, to start the second half, though, Welbeck to Troussard, and Brighton takes the 2-1 lead, um, and that was the eventual final. So Brighton looked like a real team again in this one, if, if only for a week. Um, a huge three points for them to get above uh, Fulham's point total. Uh, I did want to talk about South- Southampton here for just a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so if we take a, a ride back on the Wayback Machine, I don't know if we've ever done that Two twice. Two in one week. Yeah. My goodness. Um, let's go back to January 12th of this year. Um, season's about half over. Southampton is in sixth place, uh, 29 points. Behind teams you'd expect them to be behind, like Liverpool, Man United, <laughs> Leicester. Um, since January 12th, though, in 12 games, they've picked up exactly four points. Four points in 12 games. Yeah. Um, you know, that's one win, one draw, and 10 losses. They're now in 14th. Um, and I, the interesting thing is, and I don't, I did certainly didn't notice this. They are second to last in goals allowed behind West Brom. They've given up more goals than Sheffield at this point. So, um, that definitely seems to be the Achilles heel for them right now. It's, it's not good. Yeah. (laughs) Not great, Bob. (laughs) We got Lester hosting Sheffield, um, and again, we, we talked about the managerial switch, um, but this was an absolute stinker of a game to watch, I guess, and, unless you were a Lester, Lester fan. player or you had uh, Ian Nacho on your fantasy team, <laughs> right. one, of, one of the two. Um, we, of course, have Tielemans, who did nothing for any of the five goals. Five goals. Five goals. No involvement. I couldn't um, believe it. Yeah, so um, Ian Nacho, though, with his first ever half trick, uh, hat trick, um, last goal just a 25-yard laser. Um, two of the goals were assisted by Jamie Vardy, and I think he tried uh, to assist a fourth goal to uh, Ian Nacho, but Sheffield's uh, um, Ampadu uh, kicks it in for the own goal. Uh, but 5-0 was the final in this one. Just a bad debut for Paul Heckenbottom, although I'm sure he knew he w- what he was getting into. Um, so. Didn't Ian Nacho have a, uh, a goal last week, too? I think he did. I remember mentioning trying to pronounce his name. How to spell? Yeah, to pronounce (laughs) his name. That's the only reason I remember. So, uh, nice little stretch for him. Um, 
I, I won't I won't fully whine about uh, Tielemans uh, not being able to do anything in that stretch because I think Tielemans did get an assist last week, so it's not like he's been yeah. silent. Um, but still, uh, five five goals. You got to figure <laughs> something. something. He's got to be involved in somehow. So, oh well. Um, at least then, we didn't get him hurt. That's that's, that's progress well, yet. <laughs> right. <laughs> Gonna knock on something here. Um, and I think the last game we were going to cover was the North London Derby. Um, Do we have to? Uh, well, we don't have to if you don't <laughs> want to. So um, our fantasy opponent has what I, I'm calling the elite version of the Tottenham two-step. That's where one of Kane or Son is captained. I don't ah. know if we've actually covered that yet. Tottenham two-step plus. Yeah. Um, this match was pretty stingy on the opportunities. Only six shots on goal, three for each team. Um, early on in the 19th minute, so we talked about Bamford coming off. Sohn mm. seems to come off with what looked like uh, pulled hammy uh, as well. I don't yeah. have an update on him, but um, his replacement, Eric Lamella, uh, would have quite the day on both ends of the spectrum. Yeah, um, <laughs> that's true. So we got to talk about the goal, though. Oh, yeah. Um, so he scores on one of the more crazier, impressive goals you see. So I, I had to watch this in slow motion several times just to see what appendage actually interacted with the ball i guess they call this a rabona excuse me i don't know if you've heard this i've not um which is in spanish means uh, to play hooky or to st uh, skip school so the name uh, derives from its first documented performance by ricardo infante in a game between estudiantes and rosario in 1948 um and of all the new soccer terms I've learned, um, I would say this is probably the, m the most esoteric. This is really, <laughs> really crazy. Um, but if I was going to describe the goal, with his right leg planted, he uses the left leg uh, behind and on the outside of his right leg to sort of take a medium power shot uh, through traffic, through the legs of Arsenal's Partey, and just inside the right, uh, the right far post for the 1-0 Tottenham lead. Um, it was pretty. I yeah, mean, they, he nutmegged Partey, and yeah. uh, and there were like two other defenders, but past Partey between Lamel yeah. and, the, and the goal, and just none of them, none of them got it. Um, so obviously, people are talking about it, goal of the year. Um, I'll reserve my vote, but it's uh, certainly a contender for me. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, though, that was uh, all Tottenham would provide. Uh, looked like they were going to take that lead into halftime when. Uh, Martin Odegaard, I think he's a new acquisition. Yeah, I they think. picked him up a few weeks ago. Yeah, uh, Arsenal picked him up a few weeks ago. Yeah, he equalizes for the Gunners right before halftime. Um, in the uh, 62nd minute, a, a break by Lacazette. He takes a shot and basically whiffs it, but Sanchez's momentum kind of takes him into a defenseless uh, Lacazette for the penalty. Um, now, what was your feeling on that? Uh, that's a good question. Um, All right. Obviously... The shot was already taken and whiffed, so I'm not, you know. Which to me, it's funny. The fact that Lacazette didn't get much of the ball, to me, is why it's a penalty. Uh, and I'm, it seems like I'm the only person in the world who feels this way, which is ironic given that I'm a Spurs fan. I mean, we had our typical Jose Mourinho, you know, whining and belly aching. Uh, you know, that the only, the only thing worse than Spurs play. Um, in the first half was the referee play, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, clever Jose. But, I mean, here's my take. So Lacazette gets into the penalty area. He's got the ball. He tries to shoot but doesn't get much of the ball. But because he didn't get much of the ball, he could have taken a second bite of the apple. 
had he not been taken down by Sanchez. It was Sanchez that took him down. It was Sanchez, yeah. Um, so in that sense is how I feel Sanchez deprived him of a clear goal-scoring opportunity. Um, to say nothing of the fact that it looked pretty rough and it was in the penalty area. So people smarter than me about this stuff, though, have chimed in outraged that it shouldn't have been a penalty and it changed the game and, and all these sorts of things. Okay, um, you know, agree to disagree. Yeah, I mean, usually if you take someone out, don't get any ball, you're going to get in the penalty box, you're going to get the call. Yeah. I mean, that's that's usually the way it runs. So, um, in so Lacazette converts that for the gunner lead. Um, and then in the 75th minute, um, Eric Lamella picks up his second yellow card on the day and is sent off with the red card. Um I heard the coin term a lamella hat trick. That's a Rabona, a yellow card, and a red card in the same ah, game. So, there you know, you go. we'll see if anyone ever gets that again in history. And I'm still not 100% tracking. What is this Rabona? Like, what is what what part of that that shot was the Rabona part? It's it's where you use the opposite leg from the one you planted on the other side to kick it. Okay. So. Okay. All right. I, I actually didn't get that that's what he did. There was a moment where I saw the replay and thought that's what he did, but I sort of talked myself out of it. Like, there's yeah. no way that he did that. Yeah, it, his left foot was on the right side of his right leg okay. when he kicked it. It's just right. a really a bizarre, nice. weird thing. Yeah, um, yeah, that's that's impressive. Now, I will say, as far as how Spurs did, Lamella getting sent off might have been the best thing that could have happened to him. That's true, because they had a lot of opportunities. They were uh, a different team for the final 10 minutes of the game. I mean, Harry Kane in the 82nd minute uh, had a header that seemed to equalize until he was called for offsides. Then he had a free kick that barely, barely missed mm. and hit the woodwork. Yeah. Um, but 2-1 is the final here in the North London Derby for Arsenal. Yeah, I mean, there, there were some close calls there, um, but... It's like every other game. There are close calls on both sides. If you wanna, if you wanna look at it uh, impartially, if if shots off the woodwork had gone in, this game would have ended four to two Arsenal. Mm -hmm. So yeah. um, let, let's not get too crazy playing that game. Speaking of the woodwork, because I had uh, I had a conversation about this. So a shot that hits the woodwork is that a shot on target? I would say. Well, I don't know for sure, but I'll tell you what I would say. All right, what would you say? I would say no. Okay, and and your reason? Uh, just for the, the the same reason that you know, I think we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. But I mean, on target means would have gone in if someone did not mm -hmm. sort of disrupt it. Or, yeah. yeah. So and here's is here's there an my, answer? Do you have? An answer? I don't have the answer. Okay. Again, there's, why would I research things for you know? It's yeah. not like I do a, a a soccer podcast. So anyway, you're probably right. But I think that that's unfair, if not wrong. And here's why. Um, these shots by players that are up in the corner of the goal, bending, and just barely stay out because they hit some woodwork, are way better shots than the ones that are blasted dead center right into a goalie's belly. Theoretically, I would absolutely agree with that. You know, like those... Those ones right at the breadbasket are never going to be goals. The ones that just kiss the woodwork, it's like, oh, you did practically everything right. Um, <laughs> you know, and it it would matter if shots on target versus shots actually meant anything, right? Right. I mean, you know, it's not more salary dollars or points. There, there was a, 
a scene in uh, one of the f- first episodes of Friends that was really funny where they're playing football. I don't know if you've seen this one. It was one. a Thanksgiving episode. It was, yes. And uh, where Rachel almost catches it and she says, I almost caught it. And Chandler says, oh, great. Now it's seven to almost seven. <laughs> you know, that's, that's what that reminds me of. Uh, well, that's, that's, that's fair. Um, so going to have, like I said uh, earlier, and as, as you just heard moments ago, a pretty limited selection of games this upcoming week and then there's going to be uh i believe another short break for some international play uh so not going to be as much premier league to talk about uh several teams still alive both in uh, champions league and europa um you know that's that's actually been some of the talk is is arsenal's best shot at playing in the champions league to win the Europa League versus is there a better shot to get into the top four of the table? Um, it's a interesting thought experiment because uh, they're probably not going to make it into the top four um, of the table. Uh, but I'm not 100% sure why this you know debate is going on just with respect to Arsenal. I think the same conversation could be had for Spurs. I don't think Absolutely. Spurs are going to yeah. make it to the top four either. Um, I mean, they, it's mathematically possible, don't get me wrong, but um, you know, Spurs didn't do themselves any favors this weekend, that's for sure. Um, you know, there's a relatively long list of points left on the table. I don't mean table in, in terms of standings, but, you know, the, the proverbial yeah, table. Um, so I don't know that they deserve to be in the top four. Short of a bunch of teams choking down the stretch and, and doing so in matches against, you know, teams that aren't themselves in the in the you know top half in the high part of the top half of the table. Um, I'm not quite sure how Spurs could make it happen. So uh, I, mean, I mean you gotta think it's it's not gonna be Man City, it's not gonna be Manchester United, it's not gonna be Leicester. I think those who choke, you y- mean y- yeah. Yeah, I think they're I agree. Th- they're gonna be in the top four for sure. Yeah. Um, and the way Chelsea's playing, uh, they they yep. they've completely forgotten how to lose. So mm-hmm. um, I don't see them going anywhere. So yeah, the the, the easiest path. Uh, it's it's comical to think about it in these terms, but because we're still, I believe, in the uh, round of sixteen in Europa, albeit I, I believe teams have all played their first leg of the round of sixteen. Um, pretty sure Spurs won their match last week in that. Um, so again, that might be the easiest way for a team like Arsenal or for Spurs to find their way to the Champions League, but all remains to be seen. So with that, we will wrap things up. Thanks for tuning in. We don't have a show if not for you. And, uh, in addition to wishing you all a pleasant rest of the week, for those of you who are basketball fans, You all have the NCAA tournament to look forward to again. We didn't have it last year because of COVID. Uh, One of the many things uh, that was lost in 2020, um, to say nothing of the lives that were lost, obviously, but uh, one of the many sporting events that had to be uh, canceled as a result of the pandemic. But we've got it back this year. And in addition, a happy St. Patrick's Day to everybody this week. So enjoy that. We hope you'll tune in next week. And in the meantime... Have yourselves a great week, everybody.